0: Welcome to the audio version of the Talking Comic Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego podcast, hosted by Lennon Sultana and Alyssa Franks from the Friends of CC Forum. Every Sunday we broadcast live on YouTube to talk comic conventions and pop culture with the help of some very special guests. This episode is Season 3, Episode 28, recorded on the 28th of February, 2016. And on this show, seeing as this last weekend we saw the beautiful people of Hollywood step up to claim their Academy Awards, we are joined by ComicBook.com senior writer Russ Burlingame to talk about the movies and TV influence on Comic-Cons, something which has transformed not only the content and the audience, but also the sheer scale and the media attention of our chosen nerd meccas. Welcome to Talking Comic Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. My name is Len Sultana, and this is the weekly show where we talk San Diego Comic Con, con culture, and all the stuff and nonsense that you can see at conventions. This is where we celebrate it each and every Sunday. So thank you very much indeed for joining us. As always, the Google Plus events page is well and truly open. We've got a couple of people uh, on the Q&A already. Uh, Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Jump in there if there's any points that you want to raise uh, off the back of what we're going to talk about today, uh, and, of course, if there's any questions you want to ask yourself, jump in the Q&A. And, of course, you can use uh, Twitter using the hashtag CupOTSDCC, he says, pointing at the hashtag on said screen. Um, Got two guests uh, joining us today. My regular partner in crime is Alyssa Franks from the Friends of CC Forum. Hello, Alyssa, how are you?
1: I'm well. Uh, recovering from badge sale, uh, I, I will say on the forum we've shifted almost immediately from badge sale to uh, plane tickets and stressing about hotels, so no rest for the weary. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we are um, getting the uh, – we open up a separate area on the forum for hotel exchanges, and we are getting that prepared and ready for people that will be opening – probably the weekend before the anticipated sale of April 5th um, which will give uh, access to our Google Docs uh, an FAQ on how to use them and the like
0: so. uh, yeah I, it, as, as what's the kind of t- tone tone on the the forum at the moment is everyone kind of in a good positive place because every other group I'm on everyone's really stressing out about um, hotel apocalypse it's just kind of Everyone's really nervous.
1: They are. Um, a lot of people are nervous about it, but historically we've done fairly well with it. Um, and the the well meaning group philosophy seems to benefit a lot of people too. Yes, there's always going to be people who don't get the hard rock that they wanted, or the you know the downtown hotel, and but. In general, it seems like most people are able to get what they want.
0: Well, I mean, I can, the only thing I can turn around and say, uh, to that is if you are intending to get the Hard Rock Hotel in Hotel Apocalypse, number one, um, haven't you got school in the morning? Uh, and number two, uh, it's, it's very much a young person's hotel because the walls are so thin, uh, that the nightclub three floors down, you will hear it and you won't get any sleep at all. hmm. Comic-Con's not about sleep, right? So there we go. If you are going to go for the... Uh, if you, whatever hotel you go for. Oh, I mean, we are going to be covering hotels um, either a little bit later on in this episode or in a future episode. Certainly are heading towards uh, the hotel sale on the way. And we have ourselves um, someone very relevant to uh, the conversation we're going to be having today. Mr. Russ Burlingame uh, from comicbook.com, senior staff writer, because I didn't give you your full due last time you were on. How are you, how well, are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Surviving, thank you.
2: <laughs> well, the, the thing with my title is that uh, the only thing that makes me senior, as far as I can tell, is that I'm, I'm the guy who's been here since the site was itty-bitty, um, <laughs> uh it, it's it's a title that exists basically just to differentiate me from who were then new hires and who are now uh, plenty old enough that they don't really need me separated from them except that it's still on my business card so i'm not going to dr- get rid of it
0: <laughs> <laughs> well it just it gives you that sense of uh, authority sir which, um, uh, maybe maybe or just
2: over or just being old no 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 <laughs> well, you see, here's here's the one thing I will say, is that I've been, I realized last year sometime that I've officially been doing this, uh, covering comics and pop culture, uh, professionally for more than 15 years now, uh, which is just one of those crazy things where you sit here and go, man, suddenly I feel really tired when I think about it that way, Uh I started. I was 19 and I was interning at Wizard, and now I'm 36 and I'm doing this still. And so it's uh, it's just one of those moments where I I, I was relating a story to someone, and my first day at Wizard was when I uh, befriended Dan Jurgens, uh, who's a comic book artist who I had to call an interview. And when I was recently talking ab- about Dan with somebody else. I said, oh, yeah, Dan and I became friends. And then you stop and you actually think, and you're like, holy crap, 15 years ago? How long ago was that? Uh-huh. So, so the senior will fit in that way because I've got it's definitely
0: way first, more experience. The person you're speaking to also then turns around and goes, ah, Dan Jergens,
2: old school. And you go, oh, really? Uh, well, really? I, my favorite response to Dan, and this is funny because I didn't actually bring him up uh, per se, uh, at the Man of Steel premiere, I was on the red carpet and I was doing interviews. And uh I was wearing a tie clip. And instead of a real tie clip, I used one of those promotional badges that DC used to make in the nineties, uh, which was for Zero Hour. And uh when Henry Cavill uh when I spoke with him, he said, What's that? And I said, Oh, it's a it's actually a promotional badge from this comic book series called Zero Hour from the from the nineties. And Cavill said, without missing a beat, Is that Dan Jurgens, Death of Superman guy? And I said, yeah. And he says, I love Death of Superman. And uh, just one of those great, like, that's my favorite reaction to uh, <laughs> to, to kind of name-dropping Juergens in public is is the moment when Henry Cavill's like, oh, I know that guy. Uh,
0: um, when I, you know what? I didn't actually think he was that big a
2: comic book guy. That's impressed me. Well, both he and um, Stephen Amell have spoken uh, on a lot of occasions about how much they... Uh, how much they liked the death of superman and it's funny actually uh this here they finally for the first time ever made a hardcover edition of the death of superman uh which is one of their new line of books that comes with a blu-ray inside oh nice and um this uh about two days after i got this uh Stephen amell recorded a facebook video where he pretended to have been caught reading and oh hello facebook and that was the, the book and also the edition. Uh, so I remember I sent that to Dan and I said, hey, look, it's not just me who ran out to get a hardcover the minute they became available for the first time.
0: Well, I mean, this is what I, you'd also probably expect him to have gotten his for free. Uh,
2: I, I think it did, actually, because in, in that same video later in it, I noticed the big slipcase monstrosity, which is like what they put eight of those hardcovers in. It's like that one and Wonder Woman and a handful of others. Uh but, uh, but you know that that that's that's the perks of celebrity. <laughs> okay,
0: um, that's the kind of story that we like here mm. on a cup uh, of tea. Uh, so hopefully we're going to get a couple more of those as uh, the the, the, uh, the one sh- other
2: quick thing that I meant to mention and I got sidetracked. Um, yeah. I do know, in addition to the death of Superman, that Cavill. Uh, I mean, he did whatever work he, he did in terms of research, but I do know that at the very least, uh, they, they obviously, everybody involved read John Byrne's Super, Supergirl saga, which is where the, the Kryptonians died. Um, and that's that was something that when I spoke to him at a after-party shortly after the movie came out, um, David Goyer uh, said to me, we didn't invent that. That was a John Byrne thing. Uh, <laughs> and indicated to me that everybody involved had seen that, that story from John Byrne. And then... Um, Jeffrey Taylor, who co hosts the From Crisis to Crisis podcast, which is a podcast about Superman from nineteen eighty six to two thousand five. Oh, okay. Um it, it's I, I co hosted about a month ago. It's actually it's it's my favorite comics podcast. I, I I love it. And um they uh Jeffrey has talked enough times that his co host mocks him whenever he brings it up now about the fact that when he went to do the set visit for Man of Steel, um because Henry is from the United Kingdom. Um, Jeffrey brought and gifted to him Cal, which is a an Elseworlds comic about uh, Superman ha- if his uh, if his rocket had crashed in uh, the Arthurian kingdom, and uh, Superman became uh, a very proficient knight. Yeah,
0: I I've, I'm actually a big fan of the one where, and I'm not too sure if it was Superman Superman or Batman where uh, they, um, I know it would be, it was Superman, where he crashed in England, and I think it was written by John Cleese, um, oh. which I'm going to have to dig out at some point.
2: <laughs> yeah, right.
0: I'll
2: have to, I vaguely remember hearing about that, but I don't think I ever read it. Yeah, um, it's not
0: great, but John Cleese wrote it, so you have to kind yeah, of explore exactly. about that. <laughs>
2: okay, so what we're going to talk about
0: certainly on this uh, Hangout is something that's happening later on today or certainly for yourself, uh, here in the UK, half past one in the morning is when I'll be sitting down and watching the 88th Academy Awards. Um, What we're going to talk about uh, on this Hangout is the relationship between San Diego Comic-Con, con con culture in general, and movies and Hollywood and TV. Basically, that fractured relationship where um, a lot of people who are very much uh, Comic-Con purists feel that... um, the interlopers from the small and the silver screen have uh, kind of taken their uh, position and taken their spotlight, as it were. I seem to remember the uh, the quote from uh, the uh, Comic-Con of A Fan's Hope documentary, where someone was talking about how they can't get into the loading dock because Lucasfilm just takes up the loading dock and they just can't get into uh, the exhibition floor. And it just felt like... Uh, the, there was this this old guard of um, old-school comic book fans who were feeling that, uh, comics, uh, that f- uh, being comics had been moved out of the way and Hollywood had kind of taken over. Um, now, I've only been going to Comic-Con since 2010, and one of the first panels I went to was Hall H on the Thursday, and it was all movie stuff. It was Mind it was Tron Legacy... <laughs> Certainly, um Alyssa and Russ, um when did you feel that um com culture had seriously been taken over by Hollywood and uh the, the kind of the non comics uh medium? Oh go to uh Alyssa first if uh, if that's okay.
1: Sure, sure. Um it seems as though that they've always been ensconced on Saturdays in Hall H, um but but the 6BCF and the Sundays have gotten more you know are 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 the TV days which I appreciate I tend to really like the small screen um medium a lot better than I do the large screen but certain of my friends are you know huge huge with the star the star wars and and really enjoy the the larger shows and the marvel the you know the mar the huge marvel panels on Saturday but it seems as though that they that the bigger the bigger productions have been pulling back from San Diego. I certainly would say that. I think 2010. Um, I measure it by swag. 2010. I think I got two tickets. I got two T-shirts out of the out of Saturday in Hall H. Uh, 2011. I got nothing. <laughs> 2000. You know, and I think I skipped a year. This was on the Saturday. Um, for the Marvel panels, and then I think, um, and last year, very little, you know. Yeah. So, that's my, that's my perception of it, but I'm not a huge movie fan. Um, you know, not not as... I, mean,
0: I love in, them. In the television um, stuff has exploded at Comic-Con as oh. well.
1: That's That's yeah. been amazing to me.
0: I mean, it's almost to the point where the TV and the film stuff really, really has kind of eclipsed all of the the, the comics and the non uh, sorry the the genre medium uh, kind of uh, uh, is it more a case of public perception because obviously there's the film magazines and the websites that do concentrate on the celebrities that do show up at uh, San Diego is it really have they really been muscled out russ uh, i mean what what's your take on this is cuz i mean obviously we can talk about that there's been that history of hollywood at comic con all the way back to the birth of Comic-Con. I mean, Star Wars, if it wasn't for Comic-Con, there probably wouldn't be a Star Wars.
2: I think it's, it's a little of both. I mean, certainly I've talked to some comic book people, including some fairly high-profile comic book people, who either don't go to San Diego anymore or every year debate whether or not it's worth it because they feel um, that there's just not support there in terms of the fans, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think a lot of it is not so much that they feel that they're being edged out physically, or, or even scheduling-wise, as much as it is that as the show gets bigger and bigger, um, more and more fans are there for non-comics media. And so if you are, you know, I'll, I'll use the example of Eric Larson, because he's a friend of mine, and he is uh, he's one of the founding members of Image, and he is a, a partner there. Uh, for years, he would go and he would do signings and sketch at the image booth. And last year, for the first time, he just said, you know what, I'm not doing it. It's not worth it. Like, the amount of hassle and aggravation and money and everything else, it just doesn't pan out for me anymore. So I'll see you at a handful of smaller shows. Um, so I think I think it's really that. it's not It's not so much that the convention itself is not providing a safe space for comics. I think it's that the audience is uh, being driven more and more that way. And I don't know if it's actually that uh, fewer comic book fans want to go. I think comic book fans still want to go. I think that the issue becomes the availability of tickets, the fact that now you have to be in that five-minute window to even get one, and then the fact that it's just the quantity of people. I think that's probably why there is to some people an appeal to this notion that, you know, maybe we abandon the convention center and try to find a bigger venue. Yeah. Because I, I think that for some people, they really feel like they're essentially being forced out of Comic-Con. And certainly there are some bad feelings, and certainly there are some people who think that Comic-Con has, quote-unquote, changed. But I think for a lot of people, it's not so much that Comic-Con has changed, it's that the, the demographics of Comic-Con have changed. And I don't think that the convention or the fans necessarily want to not be welcoming to the film and television people I think it's just that they wish that there was a home for them still
0: Sure, I mean we've got a comment uh, from Chris Haggish on the Q&A who's turned around and said um, Twilight ruined Con but I think that's no disrespect to Chris because me and him uh, go back a ways Um, I find it difficult to sort of like pin everything on Twilight because Uh, there were a number of uh, franchises that kind of uh, came along that kind of time. And if it wasn't Twilight, it would have been Divergent. It would have been something else that would have uh, attracted the attention. And I do think it's uh, a case of the world's media sort of like shining their spotlight on the stars and the Hollywood stars that uh, do uh, come. And that kind of feeds that uh, desire for non-comic book fans to come to Comic-Con because they embrace the uh, CCI edict of the
2: biggest celebration of pop culture on the planet. Um, I, on. I I will say one of the things uh and, and it like this plays into the perception that Twilight in particular is guilty of something. Um, I think because you do have a lot of people who are coming for their one kind of beloved property and Let's face it, every single year without exception, the tickets are sold out before the schedules announced. So, you know, it's probably true that there are some people who are buying four-day tickets so that they don't miss one thing that's on one day. And I I think that you saw that a lot with with, uh, Twilight. You saw that a lot with a number of people who went to the Twilight panels would then evacuate Hall H and create vacancies uh, in a way that you rarely saw for other things. Um, I don't necessarily blame that on Twilight or on Twilight's fan base. I think that with Twilight it was very visible because those movies were huge and because a lot of the target audience was non-traditional comic book fans. Like it was females, it was people who were a little bit older than the average con goer in some cases or a little bit younger, and I think that it, it... it makes me a little nervous to blame everything squarely on on Twilight because I think in many cases it was just kind of that, hey, those people, quote unquote, are trespassing, and and so uh, I think there's a there's a reason people get frustrated with Twilight, which, like I said, I think is that inevitably when you're making tickets available before the schedule is available, people who want to see something in particular are going to buy whatever tickets they need so that they can see that thing. And then the other three days, those people are either just hanging around or they're not showing up or they're scalping their tickets or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. I think there's uh, the thing about um, uh, Twilight, which I find interesting that people do kind of pin that uh, the, 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 that stigma on that particular franchise. The thing about Twilight um, is that at the end of the day, it is very much a genre um, property property and where I find it interesting, especially with, uh, the television stuff, and I'm think uh, Alyssa might be able to help me out on this one, um, it's the things that aren't so genre, which you do kind of think have snuck under the wire, um, such as Glee, uh, such as, well, some properties which you wouldn't necessarily take, uh, take as Comic-Con friendly properties. Um, when it comes to the television stuff, uh, do you feel that there's a little bit of that, that um, there's kind of things that have been introduced into the schedules which you do wonder, do they actually belong at Comic-Con?
1: Sure, of course. Um, But they don't stick around for very long because there are so many good um, Comic-Con Related shows that are out there. Uh, how many do we have on at this particular point? I can, I, I'm thinking of three right off the top of my head. Four, five, you know, and, and, and that's, and how long, I mean, I, I'm, but I'm old school. And so I remember ten years ago when there was nothing on television that was sci fi related. I mean, we might have had a Big Bang Theory, but it, there wasn't there wasn't this wealth of supergirl and arrow and flash and agent carter and and agents of shield you know all of it um so i think that that tends to be pushing the glees out of the way and maybe also kind of pushing the the big movie the movies out of the way a little bit too um, since there are and it's and it feeds the episodic television also feeds into the comic reader who likes the episodic comics they like the long story and I think that 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 it's more of a natural fit than the, than the big movies are. I mean, yeah, I love seeing Harrison Ford. <laughs> Who wouldn't? You know, Star Wars, it, you know, the Star Wars panel and, and all of that. But I think when it's all said and done, that's two hours versus versus um, 22
2: episodes of The Flash. Yeah. You know, would you rather? So, I think one of the more interesting things is... If you're going to talk about what, quote-unquote, belongs at Comic-Con, it's really hard to draw that line. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for instance, for our site, we cover a lot of material that isn't, strictly speaking, comics. But, you know, if Michael Fassbender has a movie that's coming out, we'll we'll throw it at least a little bit of coverage because he's in the X-Men and he's in Prometheus and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, you know. And, and we covered Creed uh, because... Uh, well, well, two reasons, really, because Johnny Storm was in it, and because I really wanted to see Creed. Um, <laughs> and, and so they sent me to, you know, they, Warner Brothers sent me to Philly, and I interviewed the director, who's now going to do Black Panther and all that kind of stuff. Um, and and well, that, cause that so, kind of brings it all the way back around. Right, again. exactly. And it's, it's difficult to draw those boundaries. I mean, for instance, Black Sales is an adventure show. It's not really sci-fi, it's not really fantasy, because they're trying to make it as gritty and down-to-earth as they can. But it's definitely high adventure. It's definitely got a lot of sensibilities that comic book people would would appreciate. And this year they introduced Ray Stevenson, who used to play the Punisher, and now plays one of the Warriors 3, as Blackbeard. And so, you know, you have this conversation as like, okay, well, if we're going to say, for the sake of argument, that Glee doesn't belong then where do we draw that line? Because I think, you know what I mean?
1: Uh, Or Vikings, you know, or any any of those shows. I I totally agree with you, and I think that it goes back to the culture of Khan, which is that we, since we all have been outcasts when we were growing up, (laughs) we need to be more inclusive to people that are are coming are coming now because you know they 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 were outcasts too so that's that's my my theory anyway i was disappointed just to if i may turn this to tonight's show uh the the awards that are happening tonight leonard is that okay yeah sure I was disappointed that that there's not a lot more buzz speaking about um, sci-fi shows for the Martin, um, for um, uh, the the uh, the Martin show. I I, I just recently um, got the DVD and was and was watching it. That's a brilliant movie.
0: I are we talking The Martian? The Martian, right? Oh, that, I mean, as as um, a Award winning comedy. I think it I thought it was actually <laughs> hilarious. Um I I'm, actually I saw it for the first time myself uh, last week. No, time, and no I, I absolutely
1: um, it. The uh the uh the show with uh Matt uh, Damon? Yeah, i
2: yeah. what, what Leonard is talking about is that the Golden Globes uh oh, yeah, at, at the Golden Globes, they have two categories: one for drama and one for musical or comedy. And in order to um, in order to give it a better chance to win, they classified it as a musical or comedy instead of a drama. <laughs> I won. Um, and it was success. they actually won. Uh, but but I think what Leonard's saying is that it was just kind of that ridiculous goosing of the the nomination process that's worth making fun of. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, I mean, I think the, the I mean, I remember that the Marshall the, the Martian actually had a panel at Comic Con, and this is something that I want to uh, feed back to uh, the conversation uh, that it um, did do very. It had a very successful panel at uh, in Hall H, and it did rather well, like we have said at the Golden Globes. But um, like Alyssa said, that the buzz has kind of now died down. People have talked about the timing of Comic-Con and whether it actually is beneficial, uh, for, um, films, especially bang in the center, uh, bang in the middle of summer. Um, and I, I think what I want to kind of bring the conversation around to is, what are the benefits of bringing a property to San Diego Comic-Con now? Because it's gone, to, we have had the conversation and we have spoken before, um, about the fact that it does feel that, um, some film companies are starting to wonder about the actual value of bringing stuff to uh, San Diego. Um, Russ, have you noticed any kind of change in the, in the wind when it comes to the way that film companies or, and even television companies look at San Diego nowadays?
2: More anecdotally, um, certainly I think that you are always hearing that there's change in the wind, that you're hearing that people are having these doubts. Um, so far, outside of Marvel, um, there hasn't been a lot of changes in behavior as far as I can tell. Um, Marvel is in a weird position because in spite of the fact that they are the staple of Hall H in a lot of ways, they also have D23. And so they are kind of essentially responsible to Disney to make that event a success. And and so while they have not officially said it, I don't think, I, I do think that everybody I've talked to says the understanding is that, you know, on the D23 is a, a biannual thing. On the years that D23 doesn't exist, we're going to have a huge Comic-Con presence. On the years there's D23, we're going to be very subdued. Um, so clearly they believe that there's a need for some big kind of celebration of their brand uh, that the fans can engage in in order to keep people as enthusiastic as they have been traditionally. Um, I, I would say for me personally, if I had to guess, that uh, the benefits of bringing a property to Comic-Con... Um, are going to vary wildly depending on what the property is and what the pre-existing impression is. I think, for instance, that if uh, Fantastic Four had been really good and just everybody had everybody like was convinced it was going to be awful and everybody was so down on it, if you bring it to Comic Con, it can totally change the conversation.
0: Well, it, I, I seem to remember it did because it was part of that um, the, the Fox panel. Uh, last year, and people were kind of at the end of that panel going, okay, we might just give this the benefit of the doubt. Then, of no, course, and I, it, it I, did come out, and it was utter garbage. Um, but <laughs> that's beside the point. Um, so I, I appreciate that there's that, um, that vibe in the room.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think... Oh, sorry. No, go, go, go. Uh, for me, I think that what it is is that I, I think most big entertainment properties, people's minds are already made up by the time... There's a first trailer. Um, you know, when you look at, say, the the response to Batman v Superman, um, there's been very little variance. Like the people who were gonna like it have loved it. The people who weren't gonna like it, like all the criticisms that you've seen of the film have been exactly the same criticisms from before the first trailer all the way through the last trailer. It's you know the movie looks too dour. It's the color. It's the tone. It's the Zack Snyder and and so I think a lot of people, like, their minds are made up on these things. And and what Comic-Con promises to do, and whether it can or cannot do it is, I think your mileage may vary. But what Comic-Con promises to do is to put these things in front of people and say, no, look for a second, it's going to be good. And I think that it's probably rare that that can be a true success because I think that a lot of the time fans have a pretty good sense for what they are going to like. Yeah. And so, you know, people who doubted that they were going to like Batman v Superman probably will not like Batman v Superman as much as the people who are excited about it. Um, I, I think that people aren't stupid. Um, but I do think that occasionally you'll get something... You know, for instance, if, if they'd screened the Deadpool test footage or the Deadpool trailer at Comic-Con instead of having it had leaked, uh, then... You could have said, okay, well, that totally changed the dynamic. Now, what we saw is that that can happen without Comic Con, but also that it happened the week of Comic Con absolutely helped to drive buzz and discussion, and there were questions at the Fox Comic Con panel, and there, you know, all these things that, while the mainstream non-comics, non-niche media was covering the leak of the test footage and what it meant for the future of this prospective film, um, all of that was being covered against the backdrop of Comic-Con and I don't think it would have been covered nearly as aggressively and I don't think it would have gotten out to, to as many non-fans uh, without Comic-Con as it did. So so it's kind of this weird cultural thing where even stuff that happens not at Comic-Con can be affected by just the existence of Comic-Con and the phenomenon of it.
0: I appreciate that. Um, I think there's also the, the other approach as well which um, I wanted to talk about. Uh, which is that when you have a property which you feel is absolutely ideal for the Comic-Con audience, and you bring it and it absolutely has um, a massive buzz amount around it, and then the actual uh, film comes out and it doesn't perform as well as expected and intended. And I think the two main um, examples that I can bring up are um, Cowboys and Aliens and Edgar Wright versus The World. Uh, both of which had massive buzz at San Diego Comic Con, and then they were released into the wider world. And it appeared that only the people that were in San Diego that particular year saw the film. At which point, I, I kind of felt that there was this this wavering with the comic, with the uh, the film companies, whether it was worth the money to actually come to San Diego and make all that, uh, to make as much noise as they possibly could. Did you? I mean it's been in the past where a case of um, a film can get buzz at San Diego Comic Con and that can spill out into the wider world does Comic Con or do the film companies need Comic Con anymore
2: I think it's, it's, it's an interesting question uh, you have sites like mine that are dedicated niche entertainment sites that are more and more common and also getting larger and larger and so I think that uh if you view Comic-Con principally as a way to raise brand awareness and to kind of get yourself out there, um, I think a lot of studios in the wake of a failure can say, you know what, maybe we don't need to spend that money at Comic-Con because we can use it on traditional advertising and be just as effective. Um, Which to an extent is probably true. Um, You know, and, and another good example that I would add to your pile and it, it, pains me because this is probably my favorite comic book movie of all time is Dread um, oh, very much so I, I went and saw Dread at the Comic Con screening down the street where Carl Urban and uh, the very lovely young lady from the movie whose name I can't think of at the moment uh, came and, di- and emceed and uh, it was, the, the response there was absolutely staggering You know, people adored it and then it, it came out and I remember trying to go to my local cinema and there was like a screening on opening day because it was playing on one screen and it was alternating with some Disney movie. So after 9 p.m. you could watch Dread, but before that it was going to be whatever, Frozen or something. Um, and, and so I do think that there's an element of, uh, you know, you, you hear about this a lot in, in politics right now, there's this kind of echo chamber thing where people are now able to curate their media and to hear what they want to hear. And so I think that there's an element of that at Comic-Con where uh, oftentimes studios see it as a way to build their brand. Really what they're doing is preaching to the choir. And I think the most effective use of that is going to be when there's deep skepticism about your product and you need to win those people over in order to get any kind of traction at all. Um, I think that if people are already feeling fairly good about your product, the value of Comic-Con as a promotional tool is dubious. Um, However, I do think the value of Comic-Con as a fan outreach tool and as building relationships and, and things like that, I mean, certainly it's less important for, say, Lionsgate to do for Dread because there was no sequel Uh, But for Warner Brothers to bring the Trinity to the Batman v Superman panel or for uh, Marvel to bring the Avengers to the Marvel panel, um, it builds fan goodwill, it builds anticipation, it allows people to interact directly with these celebrities in a way that, let's face it, no place else really does. I mean, yes, you can go meet Rhett Reese, who wrote Deadpool, and uh, Haley Atwell at Wizard World, you know, ten weeks out of the year. But the odds of you ever being able to share a physical space with Harrison Ford or Tom Hiddleston, if you're not in San Diego at Hall H, that, that's a pretty much a non-starter. And so I do think that there's uh, there's kind of the actual dollars and cents promotional value, which is what Hollywood puts a premium on and which is what people are sometimes questioning. Yeah. And then I think there's kind of the goodwill value of building brand loyalty, building a relationship with things. And this is essentially a way to take somebody who's already going to see this film and who's going to make them a person who's going to see the next five films. Sure. And I think that is something that Comic-Con absolutely still provides a value for.
0: Okay. Well, talking to Alyssa about the, the television stuff, it's very similar in that regard. But I, uh, like you said, there is this kind of uh, th- this investment on a long-form storytelling um, and certainly, when it comes to Comic Con and the, the television panels, especially those uh, the, the Warner Brothers uh, pilots, which and indeed the pilots uh, panels, um, there is this kind of uh, requirement to a leap of faith with the the audience that uh, is in front of you. Do you uh, has there been any uh, properties that you've kind of come across at uh, Comic Con which has changed your mind, which has made you a believer, as it were?
1: For me, supernatural. Yeah, (laughs) I wasn't a huge supernatural fan, and then I I saw the first one at Comic Con because it was right before Doctor Who, and a huge, you know, spent the next three years watching it. Um, to to get back to what Russ was saying, just for a, a a little bit, I think it's kind of interesting. Um. I'm looking forward to, in 2016, um, not so much the um, the ID4, the Independence Day 4 panel, or those types of things, but more of the smaller science fiction movies that are coming out. Um, the Circle sounds really kind of interesting, a very Orwellian movie that that's happening. Uh, and there's a couple of other smaller movies. One... Um, uh, replicas with, um uh, uh, the, um Keanu Reeves. I know, I know. But, you know, it, it sounds interesting. And then you've got The Blob and The Cell. And those are the kinds of movies that I'm interested in hearing about at San Diego. And that I think that what you were saying, Russ, would, to get a little bit more information about them would help i don 't need information about the next Star trek movie or the star wars um, the Star Wars movie that 's coming out rogue One or i d four because you know those are going to be blasted all over the place and yes, I would love to see the whole cast there for the the Star Wars rogue movie, but i'm still going to go see it regardless
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know and and that 's what the that's what it seems like what the movie what the theaters want is they want bodies in the sea. Yeah. and that's what they want to see the translation in. And I think that that they kind of are missing out a little bit when they don't put, when they don't really go into the um, some of the smaller movies.
0: Well, that, to bring that up, then I mean we could talk about last year and talk about Star Wars. Um, to the pair of you, I mean, it's a question. Did Comic-Con, did Star Wars need to come to Comic-Con, or did, do you feel that they felt almost obligated, seeing as that it had been such a long time since Star Wars had made an appearance at San Diego?
2: You know, I think, I think that it, they, they probably felt more obligated than they felt like they needed to. On, to that note though, I don't think that it was obligation in a bad way. I think that JJ J. Abrams has made no secret about the fact that he's a Star Wars superfan. I don't think that he would have felt the experience was complete of directing a Star Wars revival movie if he had not had a chance to take that to Comic Con and put it in front of people like Katarina, uh, you know? <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, or my boss Lucas, who's, who's, you know, the same kind of super fan. Um, So I think that that was a a unique case. uh, and, And I think Star Wars as a property is kind of this unique case where, yeah, it's more of an obligation than an actual benefit. However, I think that obligation can be used kind of loosely in that sense. And I really do think that the reason they're there is because they know, they know the benefit that it brings the fans and that it really is kind of a once in a lifetime thing. I will also say that with a lot of, with a lot of these, and and you see it more on television than in movies, but occasionally you see it in the movies too, um, they are now monetizing the Comic-Con panels because you're adding them as special features on the Blu-ray, you're making them available for people to download on Amazon. Suddenly these are no longer a thing where you spend a bunch of money, you fly everybody out, you go there for a day, you hang out with the people in the room. These Comic-Con panels are now something that non-attendees can watch a couple of weeks later on the Internet that are going to be available on the Blu-ray, and if some crazy thing happens, like, you know, uh, Karen Gillan pulling off her wig at the first Guardians of the Galaxy panel to reveal she'd shaved her head, uh, that moment's preserved forever. And uh, when ten years from now people are talking about the great Comic-Con moments, um, a lot of these, a lot of the early ones simply don't exist in any tangible form. Nowadays, uh, that Comic-Con experience can continue to, to live on. Um, one oh, other thing
0: would so the, the new on-demand services Due,
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, con TV for non San Diego, but like when you look at the wizard cons, you can literally pay a fraction of the entrance fee. If, and if you can't physically be there, you can participate in, in a passive way, but you can participate in these panels. Um, can I just one thing, not to hijack too much here, but no, no, um, to speak to what you asked Alyssa about, uh, being one over, uh, I actually have a really good example of that that I'd forgotten until you phrased it just that way. Um, I'm friendly with Chris Robertson, who uh, wrote the comic book iZombie. And everything that you had heard about iZombie in the run-up to uh, the Comic-Con panel where they were supposed to screen the pilot was not great. Um, you, know, it, you could have faith in it if you had faith in Rob Thomas because you liked Veronica Mars. Um, but it was it was not an easy sell, especially to comic book people who would then turn it around and be like, "It sounds nothing at all like the book." <laughs> um, the uh, the moment for me, and I know I've spoken to some other reporters who have said the same thing. Um, and you know, you can debate to the the extent to which the press is really important in shaping these things, but certainly for for the handful of us in the room, um, their first Comic Con. Appearance where we did the press room and I did the re- the red carpet and I interviewed the cast. Um, those guys are so intensely likable and they're so funny and they're so you want these people to succeed. And so reporters who may not have had as much interest in kind of spreading the word about this property uh, before going to Comic Con, it's like you go to you go to Comic Con, you spend some time in a room with these guys, and. You know, I walked out of there a believer. They actually, something got messed up because they had to recast some roles. They never screened the pilot at that Comic Con. Um, but every reporter who went into that room and who talked to the cast kind of walked out saying, you know what, I, I want good things for these guys. And, and so that was, that's kind of the, the, for a reporter at least, and again, there is, you can debate how much, but there is an extent to which we shape public perception of these things. And for a lot of us, it was, you know what? We're going to walk out of this room much, much more willing to help push iZombie as a, as a show.
1: It certainly happened with me and Colony. I, saw, I got to see the, the premiere of, of Colony at New York Con. And um, when everybody was kind of going, well, I'm not so sure, USA, uh, you know, and all of that. Yeah. And, uh, then I was like, yeah, that was, this was a good show. You know, so I, 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 it can only help the premiere. You know, to put those premiere episodes out there, um, unless it's unless it's a bad show. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, that's, that's the other question that I was going to ask. Then, uh, when it comes to those duds that um, have sometimes happened at uh, Comic Con, and, and there's one that I've been addicted to, um, in terms of something that I would really like to see, but it got a pilot screening at a Comic-Con and it just never took off and it was the adaptation of Lock and Key uh, which was um, uh, which is a, a, a brilliant comic um, but it did actually get a pilot made and it was screened at Comic-Con and yet it just didn't land um, you do look at some shows and you do kind of wonder exactly how much impact they've made at Comic-Con and whether uh, companies do shift their perceptions and shift what their direction is when it comes to Comic-Con. Um, has there been any um, properties that you've seen at Comic-Con where you've just thought it was going to happen, you've kind of got a vibe in the room, but then it just doesn't pan out? There's, uh, I mean, has there been ever a show that you've thought was going to work and it just didn't happen further once you've left the Ballroom 20 experience? Um, Alyssa? <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm
1: trying desperately. I know there was one or two in there but I can't remember um I, I just can't remember it off of the top of my head they were it, it was it was not a show that I went to the panel specifically to see um I went specifically to see Lost Ship um uh for example um but I don't recall uh, recall a show that has has failed dismally
0: yeah. okay. <laughs> Because when you when you have several thousand people in the room, you can get a ground – I mean, there's an inherent amount of energy in that kind of room. But uh, uh, I'm just wondering, Russ, if you can kind of think of a, 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 an instance where it's just not felt right.
2: You know, I, I really can't. Um, but again, I, I because I'm press, I actually don't get to go to a lot of the screenings because uh, oftentimes you guys are in doing that stuff and I'm in another room – talking to the cast as hurriedly as I can before they have to run out on stage.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, do, do you, what, uh, as somebody who's done the press rooms mm-hmm. um, yourself, does that usually happen before or after?
2: It's entirely dependent on the schedules. It, it really, it's it's more or less, the answer is it's random. Okay. Um, sometimes and, it's before, the sometimes why, it's after. The reason
0: why I was asking is, um, is there a different, or can you detect a difference between the cast before they go into a room like Hall H, Hall, Room Twenty, and once they've come off the stage uh, at Room Twenty, that kind of like uh, that, mirror, that rabbit in the headlights kind of look.
2: It's it's the opposite for me. Uh, almost everybody I've ever talked to, when they come out of that experience, it's rejuvenating because the the fan enthusiasm just get like people get their adrenaline running. Um, a good example, the the one panel that I I think every year is always after or the one press room I think is always after the panel uh, is The Walking Dead. And I have interviewed those guys not at Comic-Con. Um, and don't get me wrong, they're very nice people. They're very enthusiastic about their job. But the degree of not only enthusiasm, but humor and kind of looseness and, willing, and willingness to talk off the cuff that you get after the Hall H panel is totally different than you get from them at any other time of the year. Um, and and I think that's pretty common. I, I can't think of anybody I've ever talked to who's come out of Hall H seeming really exhausted, except when I was on the red carpet for Ant-Man. Um, and I believe that was not because of Hall H. I believe that was because I was towards the end of the red carpet. And so by the time they got to me, these guys had been working for like four hours. And if you remember... Peyton Reed got announced as director like 15 seconds before Comic Con. So, uh, the, the story I always tell people, and, and this always makes him sound kind of like a jerk. I don't think that was ever his intention, but it, I found it not, not jerky, but hilarious. Um, I spoke to Paul Rudd on the red carpet right after the very first publicity thing they did for Ant-Man. And I asked him, what attracted you to this film? And his response was, I wanted to work with Edgar Wright. <laughs> And then before he continued to talk about the actual movie, there was a long pause. <laughs> and, and I have no idea whether that was him trying to make a statement or if that was just him being really tired and then suddenly realizing, I need to give more than that. Um, <laughs> but in any event, it was it, it's one of the very few times I've ever seen somebody who seemed adversely affected by Hall H, but I think it was more the fact that by the time he got to me, he'd run a marathon.
0: <laughs> okay. Right, I, I do want to kind of uh, wrap things up, um, and I have a question that I want to ask. Um, but I'm going to very quickly go down a couple of the comments that have uh, come in on the Q&A. Thank you so much for uh, uh, putting them in. This was uh, a follow-up from uh, Chris Haggish uh, about his uh, Twilight comment. Um, I did say it jokingly, but I would also put it out there that it was one of the first years of early ticket sell It was also the first year the preview night sold out on-site in the old pre-reg system. The year of twilight does mark the year of change, so that's his. Uh, and that's
2: thought. fair. That's that's kind of what I was talking about when I was alluding to the. It, it's possible that that uh, some of these problems with fan perceptions and with the badges could be resolved by releasing a schedule early enough that people could buy for the day they actually want to be there.
0: Sure. And uh, Janine Nakara is uh, what my family enjoys about San Diego Comic Con is that there is something for all of us and our diverse taste. So we may not attend all the same panels, but we are all enjoying the whole experience, which is a, a nice uh, touch. Uh, thank you very much indeed for uh, getting that, those comments in. Um, I think the question that I want to kind of wrap things up on when it comes to films and television then is regarding the bubble which uh, we talk about enough and a, a, a lot of time, especially when it comes to um, that wavering, that uh, that feeling that it could just burst at any second. A lot of people are talking about the um, studio responses at the moment to Batman versus Superman and that there's a, a little bit of um, wavering there, perhaps. I think the question that I want to ask then is, if the bubble went up, or indeed the whole thing just kind of... As a film, as film representing at Comic Con just did feel untenable. Could Comic Con survive without films or without the Hollywood influence showing up each year? Could Comic Con survive without Hollywood? Um, if I could go to Russ first, I'll let I'll let Alyssa <laughs> think about that. Especially, well, I mean, Alyssa, you can think of it also from the the television perspective as well. Whether the whole thing could just kind of... Well, I mean, it's very difficult to describe because obviously when you've got Marvel and DC that have got so much money on a long-term investment, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, it really could just... I mean, we could be looking at a new cowboy uh, era of films where all of a sudden nobody was interested in cowboys anymore. Um What's your take, Russ, on whether Comic-Con could uh, carry on
2: at the scale that it is? I think at the scale that it is, it wouldn't be tenable. I, I really, I think that, and I kind of alluded to this earlier with my, the idea that I really feel like these huge properties draw in a lot of people who ordinarily wouldn't necessarily care about just comics. Um I do think that obviously Comic Con would continue to exist because you can see hundreds of really great comic conventions across the country that exist without major Hollywood presences. Um, I, I, however, I, I do think that uh, it would immediately change a lot of conversations if Hollywood pulled out, kind of in any kind of large scale, and I think that. It, it's always hard to talk about because I think that the odds of everybody collectively deciding, like, okay, to hell with Comic-Con this year, it, the odds are basically zero. Yeah. Um, over the course of, say, three years, if three-quarters of the studios dropped out... Um, well, if, I th- okay,
0: if, if Greenland and Corpse failed, right. if Infinity Wars didn't land, if um, Black Panther didn't land...
2: Right, well, that's there it is plausible that within a fairly short period of time you could have a lot of people pull out of comic con i don't think it's likely but it is plausible and in that case i think that the the real question becomes how good is san diego organizationally at responding to those challenges because i think that uh you know like like you say the in in the the kind of uh in the not going to happen scenario that you propose where everything just poof one year and it's all gone. I think it would be catastrophic. Uh, and it would be catastrophic, not for, not just for the convention, but for San Diego as a city, because all of a sudden, um, this thing would self-destruct over the course of a year and it would be four years of rebuilding before it really could get back to where it needed to be. Um, on the other hand, I do think if San Diego, if I should, I should say if Comic-Con, because obviously they're not called San Diego, but (laughs) I think if Comic-Con, uh, had a handle on it and really knew what they needed to do as a next step, I think you could uh, ease that transition over the course of a few years. You know, For instance, I do think that because comic book people have not been able to really get in on the same scale and in the same way as they used to and that it would be a great opportunity to market to the core fan base to say, like, hey look, lines are going to be a lot more under control, you're going to be able to meet people, you're going to be able to do this, you're going to be able and you'd be able to work I think because of the size and the influence of Comic-Con International, you'd be able to work with comics publishers and you could demand more from them than you can demand from the studios and so I think that they could still create a one-of-a-kind really interesting event um, that would speak to just it would be a different audience and it would be kind of transitioning back to kind of the quote-unquote old guard. Um but again, that assumes they do it well and that everybody's willing to play ball with them, that nobody has ill will about whatever perceived uh, short shrift they've gotten over the last 10, 15 years, et cetera. etc. Cetera. Um, so I think there's a lot of moving parts to it. I do think if, as you say, one year it was just poof gone, um, it would be catastrophic. But I think in a more likely scenario where a majority of it disappears over two to four years, I think that good management by... Comic-Con International could easily kind of, maybe not account for it on the same scale, but it would continue to be a very large and very influential and very enjoyable you know, spectacle uh, that would just have a very different face.
0: Okay. Uh, Alyssa, I, I want, oh, go on. To,
1: for, to what Russ was saying, see, I, I kind of disagree a little bit, um, because I tend to think that the television i i cannot see television poofing i i cannot i don't see that at all and i also see that i think a lot of people come for the television stars you know so I, well yes we could get the lionsgate and the marvels and and all that not you know, pulling back and hoofing. I think that the the television people will come and they will be as as vibrant. Fill in the com- the old guard co- comic book people, and I think you're going to have as vibrant um, a con as you would before. I also happen to think that CCI is nimble enough to to address that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. That tends that that's the rosy outlook, <laughs> and I I understand that I I tend to be glass half full type too, so. If, if the big studios did all of a sudden pull out I don't think it would be the end of, of San Diego by any stretch of the imagination look at New York comic-con for example they have very little movie pres- presence they've got primarily television presence. yes they had a couple of, of movies they did they did pull in Clooney um, a year or two ago and you know they've got they've got a few of them but they're And they're putting on a very big, very, very in-demand con also just with television.
0: Well, New York Comic Con was going to be the the thing I was going to ask you about because Hollywood has approached New York Comic Con uh, to uh, show their wares. Is New York Comic Con an example of what a con could be in terms of the balance between... um, uh, comics and television I mean I you, I a, movie, a lot, a lot of people do shine that spotlight on the movie I stuff at
1: yeah I don't think it's a matter of, um, of, of that so to speak um, I think it's more a matter of timing and logistics San Diego is two hours from LA the movie capital New York Comic Con is down the block from television and that's what it's about. It, you know, it, it's nuts and bolts, in my opinion. <laughs> it's it's all about the the, the money and logistics and,
2: and where people are in their shooting schedules. I, I think there's definitely that element. I, I will say, Leonard, I, I kind of agree with you on, on the score that New York is a more kind of balanced breakfast. Um, you know, it... At San Diego, if any one element were to suddenly magically pull out, it would be harder to adjust for than at New York because at at San Diego, it's very top-heavy. TV and movies represent uh, much more of the kind of appeal and the revenue driving and, and things like that. Uh, New York really does feel more like a comics and TV show that has some film in it. But even the TV, because of it the shooting schedules, they tend not to have... Like, they don't have the Walking Dead panel where the entire cast is is there. They have whoever's available. And the same thing with, you know, Arrow and everything. You know, last year, uh, I did a press room for Legends of Tomorrow at New York Comic-Con where we were able to talk to Brandon, Ciara, and the producers. And I did a Supergirl press room where it was uh, McCod Brooks, Peter Facinelli, and the producers. And everybody else who was scheduled to go couldn't at the last minute because they were shooting a television show. Um, And and so I I think that New York is a little bit more of a balanced show in the sense that anything that would would represent kind of a sea change for New York, you know, if, if movies suddenly stopped going or if TV suddenly stopped going, I don't think it would be as kind of economically catastrophic as I would envision it at San Diego simply because I think San Diego really is more... Kind of top-heavy. Like I, I, I think that that San Diego is more of a balancing act, and there's a lot more moving parts, and there's a lot more people, and it, it just feels to me like, even though New York is almost as big a show, that New York is is a little bit more of like it, it's a little bit more coherent. Um, and, and and again, part of that could just be because I'm a New Yorker. Uh, that that's kind of my local show. It's much less like I don't have to worry about hotels. I don't have to worry like there's a lot of moving parts that don't affect me at all when I go to the Javits Center. Um, so there, the, you know, admittedly, I might have a skewed view um, that I'm not aware of. But but like as somebody who's been on that floor as a fan, which I've never been to San Diego as a fan, I can't imagine it. Um, and as somebody who's been there, um, as you know. As press, both small and large, um, New York feels just more whole and more stable. Um, And and I feel like what you're talking about, if there was suddenly an implosion and superhero movies or superhero television uh, were no longer fashionable, um, I think New York would be a little bit more resilient. I do think that San Diego would be fine within two, three years, but I think New York would bounce back very, very quickly and San Diego would take some time to adjust.
0: Well, I I personally think that um if superhero movies and television did just disappear, it's okay because vampire and soft <laughs> things will never bugger off. They will <laughs> never, ever go away. Ever. But uh there we go. That's just my own take on it. <laughs> just a couple of comments uh that have come in on the Q and A. Uh Brandon Troy has um watched. Uh As someone who does press you do often sometimes have to decide whether you want to go to the panel or go to the press room as, as the conference. Making the decision between the press room and the panel could be the difference between major announcements. More specifically, announcements may be saved for panels to re- reward fans waiting in line. That's a very good point. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that, uh, Brandon. And uh, Sarita uh, Pearson did jump in uh, while you were actually talking, uh, Russ, and did say a lot of the shows are taping during the, uh, the time of New York Comic Con. So it is all about timing and about the uh, the, the the maneuvering of, mm-hmm.
2: of talent to get to well, the events. As I said, Arrow really did like when, and I can't recall exactly. And I don't want to make them seem like they reneged on anything because they 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 treat me very well. <laughs> but uh, Arrow, I remember at least Stephen was supposed to be at New York, and I don't believe that he was. And it was like I, I seem to remember that there were four people who ultimately had to work the night before and could no longer make it um and it's just that's just the nature of kind of doing a convention during the season um, It's also why I think San Diego often has that problem with pilots yeah
1: and the flip well the flip side is the Netflix panel um, with mm. with Daredevil and Jessica Jones, where you got the entire cast and you got and you know because they made it it seemed like they made it a priority to at, at New York con to make sure that everybody could go there because they 're shooting two blocks away <laughs>
2: yeah well they 're shooting locally, and the other thing is too that with with Daredevil and Jessica Jones, um, one of the nice things about Netflix is that it can follow a non traditional shooting schedule. Uh, I, they were shooting at that time it 's not to make it sound like they didn 't go out of their way to come to, to the convention however, um, you know with with Daredevil you can more easily move stuff around and say, like, oh, our cast wants to do some other movie, or we need to be at Comic-Con. And Netflix, because you're going to drop them all at once, and, you know, it's essentially like shooting a really long feature film. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you don't have the, well, you need to be here now, or this episode can't air Tuesday. Um, (laughs) and, And so... Uh, I, I agree. Like, that was that was a terrific, like, showing by Netflix, and that's absolutely part of it. But I do think, too, that part of the night, that's one of the inherent benefits of Netflix, is that they're able to kind of make those priorities and say, like, you know what? This can happen, and it's not going to totally screw up our schedule, and it's because 12 hours doesn't throw their entire schedule for a loop the way that it does traditional television. Makes entire-
0: sense. It does. Sorry, I'm just having a look at um, some of the comments that have come in on the uh, on Twitter as well. Uh, let's have a quick look at this. Um, it's just a lot of people saying thank you very much indeed for uh, covering movies. Uh, I think um, I think we can pretty much wrap up uh, with the uh, the idea that uh, movies aren't really going to go anywhere. I mean, we were talking about superhero movies as, as a genre, but um, I think we can also talk about just the the film companies. Uh, bringing, uh, products to, uh, San Diego Comic Con. And, uh, while there is that spotlight of the world's media on San Diego, I think it's safe to say that you are going to be getting a lot, like, um, Russ says, the top heavy. You're <laughs> going to be getting at San Diego a lot of pizza. And every once in a while, if you go onto the exhibition floor, you'll get a, co- a bit of salad as well. <laughs> So thank you very much indeed um, uh, to uh, my two guests. Um, is there anything that we want to kind of wrap up on, uh, Alyssa? I is there just
1: want to hit a couple of quick points. Um, Monday Gotham Blind Spot is uh, coming back. Um, Tuesday Agent Carter is uh, ending. Um, Shannara Chronicles I think is also ending the following week. Um, and and Friday, which my son is really looking forward to, is uh, Netflix House of Cards. Is coming back for their fourth season. Um, also, the the big announcement of the, the uh, Netflix Iron Fist uh, casting for the uh, from the the Game of Thrones guy. I just thought people would appreciate. Um, San Diego people would also appreciate seeing what the RFID um, badge at New York Comic Con looks like. And it's this simple. It just you know, it's it's. That's all it needs to be. So we're not talking about anything major or anything big. Um, and it's just you tap in, tap out, and it's that quick to go through to go through and get into the hall because there's been a lot
2: of talk on the forum about that. I'll you know, funny you- enough, I... Oh, sorry? No, go ahead. I was just going to say, funny enough, because of exactly that discussion, um, because I haven't been on since that discussion started, I, I very nearly wore... Uh, on my desk right now, I have my, my convention Lariat, which is a Man of Steel with a big S on it, um, with my uh, Chicago uh, C2E2 badge, which is also an RFID badge. Mm-hmm. I very nearly wore that for the, for this. It just kept catching on my headphones, so I, I abandoned it.
0: <laughs> I think uh, the, the, for myself, uh, the main question for me is where they're going to tap, tap people in and out and how they're actually going to... Uh, Monitor that, and I know that uh, with the um, the WonderCon map, uh, a lot of people have been looking at that and seeing how exactly the the mechanics is going to be. WonderCon is going to be a, a very interesting con this year, purely because of the mechanics of the RFID badge and what uh, CCI have got in mind. Very. I
1: will say, bring your ID. As a fan, bring your ID, because I I. I would, I'm would. i not a betting person, but I would put $10 on the fact that they're going to step up the ID checks.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I would definitely agree. I mean, the RFID, because your name is not on it, it makes it a lot easier to scalp. Um, because well, that's if, the
0: thing. We haven't actually seen what the Comic-Con badges are going to whether they're actually going to be physically printed this year. Mm-hmm. I, I think
1: our names will be on the San Diego badges. Okay. That's that's my instinct. Um, I thought I saw that someplace, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's the scalping. I'm I, a lot of people are very curious as to how that's gonna to, to pan out.
0: Um, I think also, um, certainly from an international perspective, we're just going to be very jealous that you're going to have this rather funky badge which you it's got a bit of technology in it, we're just gonna have a plastic thing in a, a plastic lanyard. We we're, we're not bitter. Oh yeah they don't sh- they don't ship them. Yeah, we're we're not bitter. <laughs> okay.
1: You'll get an RFID badge when you pick it up.
0: Yeah, when it's yeah, alright. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Okay then. Thank you very much indeed to my two guests. And uh is there are you gonna be watching the Oscars, Alyssa? Absolutely. And have you got any kind of? Uh, can you put your your name against a flag against uh, somebody that you would like to win?
1: Oh well, I, the Martian. <laughs> I I love that. It's that I'd lo- and I'd also love um, some visual effects for Star Wars. It, you know, some of, I'd love love for the the sci-fi side of this because because we deserve it.
0: Fair enough. Thank you very much indeed. Where can people find you, Alyssa?
1: Uh, friends of uh, CC.com forward slash forum.
0: <laughs> Did it again.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you very much indeed for joining us. And Russ, will you be watching the Oscars tonight?
2: Uh, at least bits and pieces. I have children, so it's always hard to commit to anything that long. Um, but uh, I'm going I'm to try to make it my business to watch uh, as much as I can. Uh, I'm pre writing a bunch of articles now so that um if certain things that are odds on favorite to win occur then all we have to do is plug in a quote from the acceptance speech and hit publish um,
0: do be very careful i seem to remember that um the, there was that article the in a music um i think it was a review of rihanna's album which got huh. published like a day before and it just said insert spine quote uh, insert album quote here
2: um, yeah i've actually i've 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 had that happen to me at Recently actually, uh, one of the Easter eggs articles I did for I wanna say Legends of Tomorrow, um it's my Thursdays are my day off. So I pre wrote everything that I could. Um and then whatever I couldn't pre write, I, I filled it in as the show went. But because it was my day off and I wanted to get done with it, I assumed that my pre write stuff was all good. And one of the one of the uh you know, it's one it's a slideshow. One of the panes just said text. Um <laughs> And, um, and so I woke up the next morning, and I had, like, six people on Twitter uh, tweeting at me that I had just text in one of the blocks.
0: <laughs> it, it, um, it happens to us all. Excellent.
2: My one, the only flag that I'll, I'll stand against, as you said, is, uh, is Stallone. I don't think that the odds are good that he will actually get his Oscar. Um, but I'm, I'm a lifelong Rocky fan, and even independent of the Rocky films, I thought Creed was just a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. Um, and, and so, I, if I'm watching for anything that I have an investment in, uh, that's pretty much it this year. I, I haven't—I'm uh, I'm a terrible geek. I haven't seen Fury Road yet. And so, uh, no, I know, I know. The, the, here's the problem: I—the uh, problem is I haven't liked the Mad Max movie since the original. Fair enough. And so, I think you'll like this one. I think this I, I, everybody tells me I actually own it. I have a voodoo copy. I just have to actually watch it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm with you, Ross. I haven't seen it either, even though everybody has said to watch it. So yeah, I, I totally yeah. get where you're coming from on that. And, yes, I would be happy if it were to win an award just because it is a geek show.
0: Mm. I, I would personally love it to, uh, to win the Oscar, if anything, because it is the one standout film. In the in these like very serious dour kind of yeah. films, it's the one kind of actual fun flick that's in there. That's uh, cool.
2: Well, uh, and I, I I do know my my editor uh, Lucas had gone on yesterday and said that he was behind the times. He'd finally seen it, and that it was the best movie he'd seen since Star Wars. <laughs> um, so. well, from him, I, I can that's a that's a big thing to say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So where can people find you? Uh, well, obviously you've got comicbook.com, but so where can people yeah. find you online?
2: Uh, I'm, uh, I'm at Russ Burlingame, uh, which is spelled there. <laughs> and uh, uh, the other thing that I'm doing right now, uh, because I didn't have enough stuff going on in my life, uh, I recently decided I wanted to start a, a podcast with a bunch of my old coworkers from a video rental shop. And, So, uh, you can find me at the Emerald City Video Podcast, uh, which is literally, uh, we used to have a deal where if you bought a new, or if you rented a new release, you could get an old movie for free. And so the format of our show is that we talk about one theatrical release and one movie that would be an old VHS if you were to go find it at the video shop. Uh, our first episode was Star Wars The Force Awakens and Josie and the Pussycats. (laughs) Um, our second episode, which I'm still editing because I'm incredibly lazy, uh, was the Hateful Eight and Krull, and then our third episode, which is coming on March fifteenth, will be Deadpool and the nineteen eighty eight Punisher. Nice. So, uh, and that's uh, you can get that on Twitter at ecv underscore podcast. Sorry, what was that address again? Uh, ecv underscore podcast, Emerald City Video.
0: Well, listen, any podcast which discusses Krull. Over any period of time, <laughs> I, I'm down with that. I'm very much up for that. Sir.
2: Yeah, that that one should theoretically go live tomorrow. I've been saying that for three days now, but I'm I'm at the point in the editing now where there's no good reason it shouldn't.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much indeed for joining me All for thank us. Thank you. And uh, for myself, you can find me online Uh and of course you can find if you just. Basically type into Google, an Englishman in San Diego, you can find me in all sorts of places. I am doing my best to use my Instagram account, uh, posting a lot of uh, SDCC flashback pictures uh, between now and July, so uh, hopefully I'll get one or two uh, uh, memories out of the old uh, photo library over the last five years of attending Comic-Con. Um, I, if I'm going to put any uh, sort of like f- uh, my names against any Oscar predictions, all I can say is that I'm hoping to see... Either John Williams uh, up on stage, or indeed Ennio Morroquion, which either of those two I will be more than happy for best original score. And so long as I don't see Sam Smith anywhere remotely near an Oscar, I will be very, very happy indeed. Because <laughs> Writings on the Wall was one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life. But there you go, that's, that's my particular take on it all.
1: Next week we hope to have Jackie from RePop who handles our social media uh who handles RePop social social media and um she'll be uh, hopefully guess uh joining us and talking C2E2 the behind the scenes prep for um for C2E2 and Emerald City Con, wondering if she's going there, wondering if she's doing international shows, and, of course, talking, um, see if, seeing if we can get some information out of her about New York Con.
0: Excellent stuff. That's next week. Do join us, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Uh, Eastern, and, of course, 6 p.m. GMT. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your uh, weekend. And, of course... Watch uh, the Oscars. Uh, Let's see if uh, your uh, fantasy scorecard uh, pans out this evening. Do take (laughs) care, and uh, we'll hopefully see you next Sunday for another Talking Comic Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Take care, everybody.
2: Bye-bye. Cheers.